Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. So welcome to another episode of our show. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love this show because I get to speak to incredible leaders from around the world, all of whom have attracted my attention at some level or another. And I'm guided to speak to them because I just sense that there's a depth in their leadership style. And with my next guest, uh, it is exactly that. You know, I came across his profile only a few weeks ago and I just felt compelled to reach out to him. And when I've started looking into Michael Beckett a lot more, I, I realized that what I saw was just like the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot that goes on behind this incredible person's uh, uh, life. So, Michael, first and foremost, I want to thank you for being here. Um, but I just want to say, you know, that you are the chief officer, the CEO of a food bank charity for Colchester Food Bank. Uh, but you're also a chartered director and a, a fellow of the Institute of Directors. And there's a whole host of things that you've done. You sat on various boards, non-executive directors. So you are pretty much at the top end of your game. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. I know that you're a busy man. And, and thanks for spending 30 minutes with us. You're welcome. I am a little bit busy, um, but I like to be busy because I like to do things and I like to make a difference. So you're running a, a food bank charity. And I'm always very curious as to why people do what they do. What was your driver, given that you're such a busy man, what was your driver to set up this food bank charity? Well, um, other people set it up originally. Um, I got came in board halfway through, um, uh, but I've been with it for a, a number of years. I suppose my driver for engaging with helping people, um, in my childhood, I was sexually abused by a babysitter, uh, which is a bit of a bombshell to drop. Um, you know, um, it took years to overcome that and get counselling and support uh, and to sort myself out. Um, and, and society back then wasn't designed, I think, to support survivors and to help them become thrivers and move on. Um, and it wasn't really designed to talk about that sort of thing. Um, only more recently has that been something we, we are seemingly allowed to do. Uh, so I suppose what I wanted to do was make sure people got the support that I never did get um, when I was a teenager or, or, you know, in my early 20s back then. Um, so I suppose my, my whole reason d'etre, my whole motivation is make sure my abuser didn't win uh, and make sure I'm helping other people not lose to their abusers and the people who are causing them problems and to try and give people clear boundaries, to try and give people motivation and, and, and ambition and to try and help them move forward and try and make a difference. Uh, and for some people, you can help them and for some people you can't. But if you try and help everyone, you help some people. 
Great, great point made. And thanks very much for sharing uh, such a, a private and painful story, no doubt. Uh, what a harrowing experience you must have gone through as a, as a young person. Um, and, you know, I, I very often find when people have gone through some level of trauma in their lives, they can go one of two ways. Uh, they can either stay in a victim mindset uh, and remain that victim throughout their entire lives and it doesn't serve them very well. Or they can turn it around. And I love the term survivor, um, but I actually talk about a thriver. So from surviving, you go into thriving. And in essence, given everything that you've achieved so far, it sounds to me that you're doing more than just surviving, Michael. You're actually thriving. You're creating magic wherever you go. And now you're you're reaching out to other people who might be in difficult situations and you're helping them to thrive as opposed to just survive. So talk to me about, you know, some of the people that you've come into contact with, with the Colchester Food Bank. And tell me a bit more about the Colchester Food Bank charity. Well, we are the busiest food bank in the east of England. Wow. We were making a loss when I got asked to come on board and, and to be the interim manager when the previous manager had caring responsibilities and then was off and then had to, because of a an elderly relative they had to look after, decided to tender their resignation. Um, and the board had seen my CV, or one of them had, uh, or a couple of them had, um, because I applied to be a volunteer and I was volunteering. And then they asked me to act up. <laughs> so I, I did act up and uh, and um, I helped stabilise the charity, turn its funding around and redo its its processes and review them. Uh, and we won the Charities Against Fraud Award in 2018 um, as a result of the work I did in 2017. Excellent. You know, taking over the charity and checking how it was working and, and trying to make it able to grow. Uh, and once we had sorted out its finances and, and got them growing, um, we grew the charity over the next few years um, because I had thought that with Brexit happening, that there might be food shortages. Um I won't give away my politics particularly, uh, but it's suffice to say that I didn't think it was a good idea um, to tear up and, and to create trade barriers where there weren't trade barriers, because I thought that would affect food prices and I thought that would affect people who were the poorest, um, which is one of my reasons for volunteering at the food bank and getting involved. The food bank got busier with universal credit um, being, and then, and then the pandemic uh, we've just got really, really busy, um, and I lost two thirds of my volunteers. So I went from 150 volunteers down to 50, uh, because most of them were either retired age, um, or they were um, looking after someone who was vulnerable. So they had to shield. Um, so that reduced us back in March 2020 down to, you know, 50 volunteers from 150 in. A matter of a week or two. In 2020, I would have thought that there is more, even more need of your services than than there would have been the year before. You know, it was it was an incredibly challenging year, and you've lost two thirds of your volunteers. But probably the demands for your service uh, is probably going to increase. How did you manage? What were the what were the decisions that you made? The key decisions that you made that allowed you to continue to provide this excellent service that you do. Yeah, demand went up from about 9,600 people that we'd provided food for in the previous year. In 2020, it was just under 14,000. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that is a massive increase. Yeah, it is that. I mean, 14,000. So you've nearly increased by, in the region of 40, 50%. 
uh, you know, in terms of demands on your service and, you know, you've, you've lost two thirds of your staff. So how did you, A, look after the staff that you'd got, the volunteers that you were rem- remaining for them to perform that bit, that bit more to deliver, but what other decisions did you make to, to, to manage to con- continue those services? We changed the way we worked completely. We went to having four shifts. So rather than having one shift, we had four. So they were bubbled. But it was because one of the problems with the food bank is because we were, a, in inverted commas, a poor charity, uh, we had packed everything in cheek by jowl as tightly as possible. Now, the beauty of you know, doing that is it our costs were low and we, we were using the best use of the space. So we were sweating our space as hard as we could for the charity. And suddenly we have to do social distancing. So having lost two thirds of my staff and having to do social distancing, the only way we could come around it was train up people as quickly as we could um, and have training sessions by splitting people up with experienced volunteers. But we did an early shift, the normal shift that we normally did. Then an afternoon, which was a, a late shift, so that we could also have an evening <laughs> shift. Um, mm. And by having the four shifts in a day, um, we were able to make up the parcels ready for the next day so that we were able to cope with demand the next day because we were basically making up the parcels. First thing in the morning, we were still making up the parcels so that we could get through the day um, and, and, and meet demand. And we didn't know this is the beauty of a food bank. We don't know what we're going to get from the public that we ask and they give us usually what we ask for. Sometimes they're a bit creative. We, we have had a donation of frog's legs. Um, that took me a long time to get rid of. And we've had caviar. And that oh, took excellent. a long time to get rid of. Because my, well, my, my, you would have thought my client group might like the idea of trying caviar or trying frog's legs, but we, 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 it took us a long time to find someone who would try them. Uh, and we did. Someone who'd been on a French exchange tried the frog's legs because they said, oh, I went on a French exchange 20 years ago. That remark brings me back. And, you know, and, and they, 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 they wanted it as one of their extra items. So they we gave it to them. Uh, and the caviar took us a long time to find someone who actually wanted to try it. But they, they got some bread from us. So they thought they'd have the caviar on the bread, which, well, you know, it, it works. Um, but I, I do think someone's gran or great aunt or someone like that gave them caviar or gave them um frog's legs maybe as, as, as a christmas present or something and they they needed to get rid <laughs> yes well i, I can't yeah. imagine you purposely buy it for the food bank yeah you must see all sorts uh, of stuff coming through the food bank in terms of what what the public are donating and it is you know i suppose you're you're going to accept uh, um, most of what comes through because it's 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 done with the uh, complete charity in mind but um, you know, given that you had to compo- you had to cope with social distancing, you had to cope with uh, uh, increased demand, you had to cope with less staff to to deliver these increased services. Um, there must have been a lot of anxieties, both from the users of the food bank, and increased um, anxiety uh, for your volunteers. How did you manage? Uh, the the way that you led your volunteers and also I guess your clients to 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 lessen the impact of this anxiety as much as you could. There's several questions there, so I'll start with a funny anecdote and I will get into the others. The funny anecdote is uh, we got in the media back in twenty I think it was nineteen or twenty yeah twenty nineteen something like that 
because we had pasta. Oh, no, remember it was 2017. Anyway, it was a few years ago now for having pasta that was 1977, I believe. Um, so someone had donated 1977 pasta. So in terms of things we... <laughs> didn't accept we we felt that pasta that was 1977 wasn't something we could give to our clients so normally what we get if it's in date and you know or within three months we, we, we generally do try and give it out to our clients and it works obviously if it's that far out of date it just it isn't going to be any use to anyone so i just thought i'd start with out of date food that is from the 70s <laughs> just isn't something we we could give so we, we we did go that and we did put that in the press and then it went national and then other people were putting about kidney bean soup or something and other things that they'd had um which were again very um out of date um but in in terms of the ways we we coped and and things we did um we took on additional volunteers and trained them up but one of the things we did was we had community groups and others who came in and did a session with one of us training them uh, so that they could lead a shift. And then we kept them in reserve so that they could come in and do a shift if one of my shifts bubbles got burst with COVID. Because one of the things we were aware of was <laughs> we were going to lose a day here or there with, with bubbles being burst, which we, we did. Uh, but we managed to increase the number of um sites because in 2020, you'll remember that the buses weren't very good because they didn't have the bus drivers because they had COVID and they were reduced service and people were in their house and not able to travel often. So we, we, we were doing deliveries. Um, so we had to set up a delivery service as an extra thing. We got an extra venue for wow. so that we could do it because we didn't have room to do it in, in, in where we were. Um, so we spread to different, different sites um, and we opened additional food banks so that the food bank would be near the people rather than them having to come all the way to us because travel was a big issue um, back in 2020. So we, we, we did, we changed the way we worked. We changed how it did, but it was all about meeting the need and, and bringing the food bank to the people uh, and also supporting our volunteers and supporting, you know, doing a um, rotation so people could have a break if they needed a break because we didn't want to burn anyone out. Because the one thing that w worked is if we had COVID and burnout, as well as you know shifts going we needed to keep everyone having a break having the support they needed and um yeah but it was it was literally all hands on deck um manning the pumps as it were if i can be nautical with you um uh, just keep the the ship afloat and, and trying to make sure we were able to be fit for purpose and making sure we repaired ourselves and got ourselves ready for the next day because every day was in, in a bit of a storm being extra busy and, and you know 42 percent of our clients in 2020 were children um so it was a massive thing for us about making sure that the food was ready so that we could meet demand that's phenomenal so on, on top of this increased demand on top of the uh, two-thirds loss of your volunteers you now have to set up uh, a delivery service which you ordinarily won't do so it wouldn't do because people are at home and and they're they're uh, isolating at home or shielding at home. Uh, so you have to get the services out to them. Um, you have to uh, create some satellite stations, if you like. So you're having to look for venues. That's an incredible amount of uh, pressure on you as the CEO driving this forward. And on top of that, you're I, I, no doubt, I'm, I'm guessing that you're acutely aware of your staff uh, going off sick and and therefore you wouldn't be able to deliver services 
I, I'm really impressed that you were thinking about burnout as well at that early stage because I not many people, not many organizations were thinking about burnout. I work with all sorts of companies now. Uh, and one of the things I'm coming across awful lot of now is burnout, uh, only because for the last two years, people have worked in uh, in a in a in a uh, unusual kind of way. But most people are saying we've got more work on now working from home than we had when we were working in premises. So that's consequently leading to burnout. And they're back to back meetings nowadays. You don't get a chance to walk from one place to another in between meetings. They're literally back to back. And that's actually causing burnout. But you were thinking about burnout back then, back in 2020, which seems, by the way, a million miles away now. You know, the world has changed so much. Where was this conversation? How was the conversation going on around burnout? Was there something that you'd notice or was it just because that you could see that people were under pressure? Uh, I suppose it comes from my history. Having worked in an acute psychiatric ward for a couple of years and having run a mind charity. Right. Um, I was acutely aware of mental health and it's one of the things I balanced, you know, to make sure that the people people were given the support they needed and obviously getting additional support has been something that's been passionate i've been passionate about so we've we've got additional support and money in for working with the cab at the moment so we've got more help for legal advice um but back then um we were just looking at how we could get the support and help to our clients and to our team so that our teams didn't burn out so that we had people who could give them a break and so we did manage to give most of our shifts at least you know some of the volunteers a break mm-hmm. by having other people come in and be able to do that um by doing rotation um and uh, you know at the end of the year we had 250 volunteers which is quite considerably a lot more than 150 we started with yeah um incredible normally the problem i had with the food bank perhaps if, if you like if you think it's a problem is that people loved working there so i didn't have a high turnover of volunteers so we weren't as it were used to training lots of new people because we wouldn't have many spaces because the people liked it and stayed <laughs> so that's you know the, the joys of a positive culture is we didn't have to retrain people and we we were used to having people stay uh, and keep going and, and loving it and, and and having a habit of being a, a volunteer at the food bank obviously with covid we then had to become a training organization <laughs> on top of everything else <laughs> yeah with, with our left foot so we, we we did that we took on additional staff we we got money in people threw money at us which was very kind of them um and, but that's helped us get through it uh, and with with that we went up from having two staff although one of them had to shield so um it was just me um but we we did get <laughs> reduced numbers um but we managed to then take on some more staff in the autumn and and, and you know uh, and throughout the year um and by by the autumn we had the new things open so that when we came around to christmas time we we had the capacity and 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 the places ready to meet the need you know michael i'm listening to you i'm thinking you were booking the trend uh, because you know you're talking about going down from 150 down to 50 staff putting all sorts of uh, things in place your demand has increased by over a third, if not nearly a half. Um, you're having to bring in new people, train new people. You've had to start a delivery service. You've had to start satellite stations in the midst of the first uh, uh, lockdown. Incredible challenges. But then on the top of it, quite casually, you say, well, actually, we're up to 250 staff now, so 100 staff more than you had to start off with. And this is where you're booking the trend. You're also saying that people... You don't have a high turnover. People like working where they are. 
And it's bucking the trend because since 2020, I don't know if you're aware of this, we've had something called the Great Resignation, which is across the world where people are so exhausted or more importantly, they're not happy in the workplace that they're in and they've recalibrated their priorities and say, hey, above money and above a lot of other things, actually, I want to feel valued, appreciated and feel safe in the workplace. I'm going to vote with my feet and go somewhere else. You're not seeing that. So I'm working with a lot of organizations that are struggling still with massive turnover, huge number of vacancies. Uh, and I work with them and say culture is critically important, creating the right culture. If some, if another CEO were to be listening to this podcast right now, and what would you say to them about creating the right culture where people want to stay in your organization? You have to put people first. You have to balance people. There are always going to be people who disagree with each other. Everyone's right because they know they are because they know they're an expert. Uh, that, that's just people. Uh, and volunteers are a different, as it were, kettle of fish to staff. With staff, you can do the command and control thing. But because I'm used to volunteer management and volunteers is what we've got, it's very much about trying to find a way to softly nudge with soft skills and get people to do what you want them to do. Um, and some of the times they do it the way you want it. And some of the times you have to adapt the way you want things uh, to settle for the way that volunteers want to do it. Um, but it, it's having flexibility, making it about people, trying to find a role that fits them, trying to adapt the organisation organically, as it were, rather than forcing people into boxes you look at what people naturally are good at you move them and nudge their roles so that they complement so there's less friction but it, it, it is an art not a science um and i can't say i'm perfect at it. i'm sure i annoy people from time to time and I'm, you know there are always going to be landmines that go off that that's just the nature of people um and he said that she said that sort of thing will always happen at some point uh, and you you just can't get to the bottom of he said, he said, she said, because, you know, you just don't know. But what you can do is try and say, well, let's how we change this going forward and how we can make people, you know, we can invest in them. We can say what training they want to do. We can try and get them with a training plan that they like. We can try and find ways that we can, you know, give them what they want. Now, it might be, as one of my staff team would say, a holiday in Bali. Um I have to disappoint them. I can't give them a holiday in Bali, they, they, you know, but sometimes you can give them some of what they want. Um, and if you can do enough carrot, you can try not to use the stick. Obviously, occasionally you might say to someone, actually, you know, this isn't working. You just need to change and we need to do it like this. Or, you know, we might have to ask you to leave. But, you know, usually some soft words and some kindness and some asking someone, and often they will hear you and they will change and they will adapt and you know doing it gently and doing it softly and, and, and doing it like that often that is enough or even if you have a difficult conversation with someone where you're saying actually no that is not appropriate you need to change if you want to stay here but if you're very clear about the boundaries very clear about what the expectations are people usually respect that and they like the fact that you trust them to do things usually what i try and do is give them a high level objectives we need to get this number of parcels out to these number of people i don't care how you do it um 
I care that you do it safely, but if you can find a better way to improve the system than the system we've got, and some of the volunteers came up with better ways, and we changed our systems. And I love, I love that. I love that, Michael, because what you're saying there is, um, firstly, let me pick up on the additional challenges that you've had as a leader, because you've quite rightly pointed out that you're working with volunteers. They don't have to be there. They could literally just walk out tomorrow if they're unhappy, but the fact is that they stay with you, so you're doing something right. And I love this around where you're where you're talking about, you know, okay, folks, you're showing everyone the goalpost. This is where we need to be. These are the goals that we need to meet. How you do that, I'm open. I mean, one of the one of the phrases I used to use an awful lot with all of my staff uh, when I was a senior leader is, just because I'm the leader, I don't hold a monopoly on good ideas. You know, so it's about involving your team, involving your staff in the solution. Uh, in, in the solution element uh, of the work that you're doing, right? It's, it's the synergy. We have some strategy coming down from on top of what we're trying to achieve, but we are, we also get ideas coming up and we try and fuse the two together. Some of the organically grown stuff that we wouldn't have done, you know, because it wouldn't have occurred to us, but it's come about through perhaps happenstance or perhaps someone else's brainwave or perhaps another organisation asks, oh, do you mind doing this? But if it helps our clients, so at the moment, you know, we share our premises. We've got four other organisations in there we've given floor space to. So we've got uh, one helping refugees, one, um, the baby bank, obviously providing things for children, um, which is one of our big um, client groups. Uh, We've got the uniform exchange offering school uniforms. uh, And we've got um, Refocus that do um, work in terms of art therapy. Now, all of these things help our clients and we could give them the space that we, we do. And then as a fifth thing, we're helping the council um, by giving out the recycling boxes. But then that means that people are coming to the food bank for a reason that isn't to get food, but then they might drop off food. They can also see what we're doing and see what we're about. At the same time, our clients, if they come in and do it, we can order their stuff online and give them their recycling stuff all making them greener no i think that's absolutely brilliant and you know i admire so much of what you're doing and i love the fact that uh, you have um you continue to deliver the services that you're you're delivering but also you're bringing in other services that would have exact almost exactly the same client group so now you're able to offer multiple services to that same client group and at the same time you, you're you're helping the council uh, achieve the carbon footprint uh, uh, target that they they want to achieve through recycling. I mean that's just it's 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 brilliant. You know, I I, I think absolutely uh, inspired by what you're doing, uh, Michael. Uh, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, I really have enjoyed listening to you and and hearing about your journey and how you've got involved. Um, you started off by telling us about your experiences and, uh, you know, through child abuse, through the, with, your, with your babysitter when you were young. Uh, and, you know, you had this commitment that you wanted to help other people. Um, you know, often we talk about purpose, don't we? we? We ask people, what is their big why? And I think yours is so true. It's so alive. It's so huge. Uh, and, um, you know, the clarity that I'm getting from the the thing that drives you is just incredible. I want to thank you for your services. And uh, we need more Michael Deckett's uh, out there in the world, I think. I think every town in the UK probably needs one of you. 
Can you clone yourself? I'm, I'm open. If it, if it helps people, the answer's yes. Um, it, <laughs> the logistics might be a problem with that one. It's always down to the logistics. But thank you so much for spending time with us, Michael. Uh, by the way, I haven't commented for all the people that uh, are listening into the podcast. You won't get to, you won't uh, appreciate what I'm appreciating. But Michael is wearing a very beautiful uh, Union Jack bow tie. I just learned to tie my bow tie uh, in lockdown as it happens. I wanted to learn how to tie my own bow tie. And I'm not entirely sure I'm confident enough to tie a uh, Union Jack one and get it absolutely right. It's going to be so, you know, perfect, doesn't it, that one? You're looking very smart. Are you going anywhere nice? Uh, our mayor is doing a, a goodbye bash because he's going. Uh, and he's invited me to it, but his theme is red, white, and blue. So I bought the bow tie specifically <laughs> for this event. I've never worn it before. It's the first time, but it, it was because it's his theme. It's always good to keep politicians happy because if they can give additional support, <laughs> it's well worth having. Thank you so much for your time. All the very best. Thank you very much. All the best with you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.